Welcome to the Stay Tuned with the Chlorine Institute podcast. The Chlorine Institute, also referred to as CI, is a chemical trade association based in Arlington, Virginia, that focuses on advancing safety in the chloroalkali industry. In this podcast, we will dive into the topic of safety as it relates to this industry. Welcome. I'm Frank Reiner, president of the Chlorine Institute. Today's special guest is Brittany Cole with Career Thrivers, a consulting company that focuses on leadership development to engage and retain diverse talent. Brittany spoke on diversity and inclusion at the 2020 CI virtual fall meeting. Brittany studied political science and communications at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and earned a certificate in strategies for building and leading diverse organizations from the Harvard Kennedy School of Public Policy. Although Brittany's presentation at the fall meeting was thorough and in-depth, there seems to be so much more that we could have unpacked from this topic. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me. Definitely looking forward to our conversation today. Okay, well, why don't we start uh, by you telling us a little bit about yourself and how and why you uh, started Career Thrivers. Sure. Well, um, my name is Brittany Cole, as you shared, and I am an inclusive leadership and I do some personal branding coaching as well. And really, um, Career Thrivers was birthed out of a need that I noticed during my own corporate career. So I spent um, just over 12 years in the healthcare space, doing everything from sales to marketing to sales management to diversity and inclusion work. And what I noticed was that there was a real opportunity as it related to leadership development and culture to ensure that as companies have um, often, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, goals around diversity recruitment, that once diverse talent comes into the organization that you retain that talent through having an inclusive culture, a culture where people believe that they belong at your organization. And so I was doing that work, supporting um, clients from a coaching standpoint and really saw an opportunity to really mirror the work that I had started at my organization kind of as a additional project at the time to be able to serve more expansively other organizations. And so from there, I navigated from keynote speaking and just coaching to now probably about 85% of my business is working with other businesses on everything from similar to what we did, um, keynote training educations to really coming in and also doing DEI strategic planning and really building out a model that's sustainable to help organizations walk the talk of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay, uh, well, that's that's a great background. Uh, and we always hear uh, some of the terms around diversity and inclusion used interchangeably. Uh, maybe you can help us a little bit with definition of, of those terms. Uh, particularly the, the term equality and equity. Sure, yes. And I would say that um, that equity word is probably the one that may be newer for your listeners. And, and I like to kind of start with the definition of diversity. In, in fact, when you when you look at those three words, diversity, inclusion, and equity, diversity is actually the one that's probably um, kind of misquoted or, or people have, you know, a, a varied um, degree of you know, understanding of what the word means. And so I always err on the side of simplicity. So diversity simply means difference. Um, if I had to, to define it in one word, that's all that it means, but it is inclusive of difference that's visible, but also difference that is invisible. And so a question that you would ask that's focused on diversity would be who's in the room, 
right? Or who's a part of our membership organization. And so you'd look at things like demographics to really understand who's a part of the organization, but then you would also tap into diversity of thought and experiences to really gauge the background of those members, um, et cetera. So that's diversity, simply means difference. Think of diversity as a fact, right? You have it. You may not have as much of it as you want, but you, you have some level of, of diversity within your organization, whether it be visible or invisible or primary or secondary diversity as, as we call it um, in this space. The second term that you mentioned is inclusion, right? And so if we're thinking progressively or, or, or linearly, and that's not necessarily how these words go, but sometimes it just helps with the understanding. Think of diversity as kind of a speed bump on this journey, getting to inclusion, right? So inclusion, if diversity is a fact, then inclusion is the act. So inclusion is about intentionally incorporating that difference. So a question that inclusion would ask is, was everyone in the room heard? So you go from this kind of surface question of who's in the room to making sure that everyone that is in the room, their voice was heard. So that's inclusion. And then equity um, definitely is, is, is the goal and the mark, but equity is about outcomes. So if diversity is a fact, inclusion is an act, then equity is in the stats. So equity is about having outcomes that aren't impacted by the difference within the organization. And so a question that equity would ask is, well, if we know who's in the room, if we're thinking about um, ensuring that everyone in the room is heard, then equity asks the question, what conditions have we created such that certain voices are heard more than others or such that the room looks the same as it relates to visible diversity or primary diversity? So those are the differences between those three words. And so then it gets to, I think your, your initial question, which was, well, how does equity differ from equality? So equality is about fairness. So I like to give the example of, you know, if a shoe company, let's just say Brooks, I'm trying to get back into running. So let's say Brooks was on the, was sponsoring this episode and Brooks gave every listener a pair of, you know, their ghost running tennis shoe. And so um, that would be an example of equality. So everyone gets a pair of size 10, right? Um, Brooks tennis shoes. Well, that's great. That's a nice gift, right? But what if I don't wear a size 10, right? Or what if I don't need the ghost shoe because that style of running shoe doesn't fit the shape of my foot? So equity is about distributing resources in a way that you have an outcome that's not determined by the difference. So you have the outcome of giving the Brooks shoe, but then you send an Excel doc via email and ask what size shoe do you wear, right? Or, or what type of shoe fits you the best? And so that's what equity is about. So it's that additional level of intention to ensure that whatever resources that we have within the organization, we're distributing them in such a way that you know, the outcome is the same for everyone or there's no barrier to reaching the outcome uh, for everyone. Okay, okay. Um, when, we, when we talk about diversity in the workplace, uh, any, anything we do in the workplace, we do for, for various purposes. And um, what is the business case for, for diversity in the workplace? Uh, has, there, has there been a lot of research done in that area? Absolutely, there has, you know, and, and I would tell you, Frank, I, I, I often pause when I get this question and, and I, I pause for, for two reasons. One, because I know um, I have quite a few friends and, and colleagues in this space who 
I mean, they they like don't even answer the question um, at all because simply to, an- to, to answer your question, yes, the, the business case has been proven. And I think, you know, one of the things that we have to understand uh, about this work as it relates to diversity, equity and inclusion is that it is a business imperative. So much like quality, much like, um, you know, operations, logistics, other areas of the business, you know, this is a business imperative. And so when you look at the data, the proven research that's been done across many reputable organizations. Um, really the first study that we kind of go back to comes out of the Harvard Business Review. Um, and, and that initial case was really about understanding um, what is the impact of, of having a diverse organization because the workforce was starting to shift. Um, and so that was the first study that said, yes, if you are managing, and that was the language in 1990, if you're managing diversity, you're going to be at a competitive advantage, right? So that, so that's Harvard Business Review um, confirming that affirmative action at the time, which is not the practice um, broadly um, today, but that that if you're thinking along those lanes, then you have a competitive advantage within your organization. 1991, the Academy of Management came back and said, absolutely, for organizations, you are at a competitive advantage if you are managing diversity. So they came back and said, yep, Harvard Business Review said it. We did our study across leaders uh, at, the Ameri- at the Academy of Management and said, absolutely, yes, um, it's a competitive advantage. Then in 2009, we get into some slightly different language, right? So we go from managing diversity as a competitive advantage to companies that report the highest level of diversity are 15 times more likely to have better sales revenue, right? Or excuse me, they have 15 times more sales revenue than organizations that don't. So 2009, and this was the American Sociological Association, was really one of the first times where you saw this very clear parallel between the diversity within an organization. And and let me be very specific, in this study, they were looking specifically at racial diversity. So we talked about, you know, diversity means difference. It covers both visible and, and invisible difference. So we could use that language to mean a lot of different things. In this study, they were only looking at the dimension of diversity of racial, um, the impact of having racial diversity um, and and saw that, hey, companies bring in nearly 15 times more sales revenue. So an exact correlation with the bottom line, 2014 Deloitte came back and said, hey, this isn't just about managing diversity and having a competitive advantage, but that study brought in this language of it being a business imperative. So that was 2014. And then the last source that I'll reference um, is one that we all know in the business space, probably the a consulting company that's at the top of the list when you think about reputable data. So McKinsey and Company in 2015, and also they, they, they looked at the data again um, two, two more times to underscore this statistic that you're probably most familiar with. And that, that's that companies that are at the top quartile in terms of their revenue within their industry, those that are at the top quartile of racial and ethnic diversity. So again, this very specific dimension of diversity, they're 35% more likely to have financial returns above their industry competitors. So again, you see this continual um, confirmation of diversity and inclusion having a direct impact on the business. And, And I think that's important, Frank, to underscore because you move from this language about diversity, equity, and inclusion being, you know, the right thing to do or it having moral implications to really understanding that it is indeed a business imperative. And so it's, it's clear from the, the sources you cited that it, it is a business imperative. Uh, what, what steps can a leader in 
leadership within the business take to increase diversity in the workplace? Sure, great question. So there are really four critical success factors that um, the research and best practices really underscore, and, and more than four, but I'll share the top four with you um, from not only research, but also looking at what are, you know, kind of best in class organizations doing. So organizations like Sodexo, who um, this year were named as one of the top, uh, they were named we're actually Hall of Fame by Diversity Inc., but they're one of the top organizations when it comes to a model for this kind of work. Um, Deloitte, McKinsey and Co. Hewitt, again, organizations that really get this work right. There are a couple things. So one, um, and I want to ground these four critical success factors in, again, the understanding that the, the goal isn't only right to bring diversity in but if, when, we're, when we're looking at these case studies this is about ensuring that there's a culture that's able to retain the diversity that organizations want to recruit so the first is having this 360 approach um, which starts at the top so it starts with the chief executive officer and the c-suite um, having involvement and investment from the top down in terms of diversity and inclusion so whether that means um, they are the executive sponsors of maybe a DEI um, committee at the organization would be kind of like starting point or what you saw a lot of organizations do this year um, is to hire someone. So to hire full-time um, and, you know, FTE, full-time employee, um, and also team, depending on the size of your organization to do the work um, and coupled with perhaps uh, a, a, an external partner. So you see that, you know, executive level involvement, but also investment. And let me be very clear financial investment, um, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a line item um, to the work, again, much like the other segments of the business. The, the second uh, critical success factor is having a DEI strategy that's connected to the business strategy. So that's, that's what we really pride ourselves on with Career Thrivers. There are a lot of things that could be recommended, right? There, there there's tons of data. There's a lot that you could do in this space. What really works for your business? What really works for you know, your customer and your stakeholders to again, have an impact on your growth strategy because that's what this work has been proven to do. So uh, that would be second. The third is having an integrated learning and development strategy. So again, it's not enough just to say, hey, we're talking to our mid-level managers, we're, we're shifting our recruiting strategy and we're gonna go find some diverse talent. What are you doing to ensure that one, every people leader, so not just the executive C-suite leadership team, but every person within the organization that has direct reports, has the fundamental understanding of what this work means, why it's important, and they're accountable to it because it's tied to their compensation. That's an entirely different conversation, but there is tons of data around understanding why that would be important, and we do it in, in other areas of business. And then last but not least, having alignment across your external stakeholders. So whether that be other businesses that you're working with um, or other strategic partners, ensuring that you had that alignment there from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint. And those are the four things that really um, you can start doing um, and start thinking about and having the discussions around to take some actions to really be successful in the space. Well, now you've given certainly some steps that the leadership can take. And um, not all our listeners are, are in leadership positions yet, mm -hmm. uh, someday. But uh, how, can, how can just individuals within an organization help to foster a diverse work environment? 
Yes, thank you for that question, Frank. And a, a saying that I'll share that is common in this space is that inclusion starts with I, right? So it starts with the letter I, but it also starts with I as in me. So definitely everyone plays a role. And you'll notice I, I mentioned inclusion, right? So one fundamental kind of understanding um, that we all have to really have the perspective shift on is that there really is a need to move beyond diversity, right? So, so diversity isn't the goal. And again, even if, right, it may be part of the goal, right? Because perhaps you don't have as much difference within your organization as you would like to see, right? So, so that can very well be um, a part of an overarching strategy, but, but really the goal is to ensure that the organization, right, has this culture of inclusion, that the leaders are inclusive, that the people and teams are inclusive, that they are intentional about incorporating the difference that you hope to recruit and then thus retain through that inclusion. So if we're talking about, you know, team players or of course the HR term individual contributors, I would definitely say just, I guess some, some tactical things would be going back to that third imperative. So around learning and development. So what are you doing as a team member, as a colleague, as someone who is committed to this culture of inclusion that your organization is building to increase your learning and understanding in the space, right? To be a more inclusive partner and colleague within your organization. And maybe your organization, you know, doesn't have a, a structured learning and development platform or, or strategy or curriculum. Um, and that's okay because there are tons of resources. So there, there are podcasts, there are great books out there. There are definitely lots of resources where you can start the work to make sure that you understand, you know, what does it mean to really perhaps have a shift in your culture to where you're not only asking who's in the room, but you're ensuring that all of the voices are heard. Another thing that um, anyone can do, right? So, so leader or, or team member um, is to speak up, right? So when you have those moments where you hear something in a meeting, you know, and you, you think, oh, wonder why they said that or or you have or you you're in a virtual meeting we're all in many more of those than we used to be you know and perhaps you you hear someone that that gets spoken over you know redirecting and ensuring that that colleague had an opportunity to have their voice heard to share their insight within the meeting um speaking up is definitely something that it's a it's a culture shift but it starts with everyone in the organization again um taking that that brave action to, to speak out and call out those microaggressions and to, and to redirect to really build that culture. Because again, I don't, well, I'm saying again, I don't think that I said this, but when we think about culture more broadly, culture is determined in the, in the small actions. So it's, it's great to have a nice statement. It's great to, you know, have values that are aligned to this work. All of that is important. But when we're, when we're thinking about the work of cultivating culture, which is what diversity, equity, and inclusion at the end of the day is really about, right? You're trying to, to shift people's beliefs and, and, and values within the organization in terms of how we relate to not only colleagues, right, but also clients. Like this has implications um, outside of the work workspace as well in terms of clients, customers, and stakeholders. And so ensuring that that education is there, ensuring that you're cultivating that, you know, kind of speak up um, type of culture are things that anyone within the organization, regardless of their title, can do. That, that speak up, uh, the culture is sometimes referred to as psychological safety. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that fits into diversity and inclusion? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, psychological safety is is a term that um, really got coined um, and really, kind of, well, not coined, but kind of more so expanded um, through some research that Google did. So Amy Edmondson is the scientist that really coined the term of psychological safety within um, organizations. But it's this idea that you have psychological safety when you're not afraid to speak up or you're not afraid to you know, be yourself or ask questions, take risks, correct a colleague regardless of level or make mistakes. And so Google did this research across their organization looking at the top characteristics of high performance um, teams and leaders, well, specifically leaders. And out of all of the characteristics, right, that we could probably name here today when it comes to, you know, what makes a good leader, when they ask this question within their organization, um, that the number one characteristics of a great team within the organization and also great leaders was cultivating this culture where you have psychological safety. And at the end of the day, right, when you don't feel that you're going to be reprimanded if you you know, speak up, say something, correct someone, et cetera. Not only is it about this feeling of belonging, but there's also an implication as it relates to innovation within the organization, right? That you are testing the idea, um, even if the person testing the idea isn't in the highest seat within the company, that you have this culture to say, hey, we want to ensure that we're that we're the best and providing the best for our clients and customers. And whoever has the idea to make that happen, we really don't care what seat you sit in. We want to hear what you have to say because you're about a valuable member of the organization. And so those are some practical um, kind of outcomes of having um, a culture that is psychologically safe. Okay. Uh, well, now we've we've talked about the concepts of diversity and inclusion being beneficial to the organization and, and how they, they can provide those benefits. Do you, it's always good to have some concrete examples of where, where this is proven. Uh, can you provide some examples uh, maybe in your work with clients uh, where, where you've seen the benefits of diversity, inclusion, and equity? Yeah, this is such a great question, Frank. Um, and, and I say it's great because there are so many examples. Like when even when you are just sharing the question, I'm like, okay, there are like examples across Google, which we've just talked about. Like there are examples across clients. And so I'll share one uh, since you mentioned our clients. So of course, you know, this year there are many organizations who are um, just starting this work. And I think that that's a good thing, right? You know, there's some that, that may say, hey, you know, why did it take so long? Or what have you been doing all this time? Listen, if you're getting started, if you're taking that intentional action, um, then I think that that's wonderful. And so we started working with an organization um, actually in February. So for, for Black History Month, um, I was at the organization speaking on a panel and just sharing the work that we do, sharing about um, the importance in terms of, of Black culture and, and Black colleagues and, and, and what that looks like um, in terms of their Black History Month celebration, February, not knowing that March and this pandemic was coming. Um, and so through, through that um, work with this organization, they ended up bringing us on to initially do some coaching within the organization. And then when it got right down to it, that third imperative of, of learning and development was their real need. And so we started working together to provide learning and development for their leaders first. So ensuring that their people leaders across the organization um, had a fundamental understanding of 
really we before we even kind of got to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we had some just really great conversations about the history of our country, um, which you know, we often like to say within the workplace, you know, we don't talk about politics. And, and I, I like to remind people that this work, this, 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 you know, multi-billion dollar with a B industry of diversity, equity, and inclusion started out of legislation. It started out of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title VII, which you may not be familiar with Title VII, but I can assure you, you are familiar with the line on a website or in forms that you signed when you came onto the organization that said that insert name of your organization um, does not discriminate on the basis of age, race, race sex, gender, um, now sexual orientation as well. And so that line comes from Title VII and this work, right, out of that legislation, a lot of organizations who, who did have discriminatory practices, um, they were getting lawsuits. And so as a way one initially was punitive, but the organizations got smart and said, okay, we can't keep going down this path um, of paying these fines. We have to ensure that there's training happening. And so when you, when you think about kind of the broad scale of this work, um, politics becomes very important. And so we started there with this organization and then got into this uh, similar dialogue that we're having today, but more in depth in terms of training. And through that work just this year, like in less than a year, this company has gone from not having any training, learning, development at all in the space to last month, they hired a DEI leader. So that first imperative, I guess we were really deep um, into that. And they were like, hey, let, let's pause on this. Let's bring in someone that can partner you know, with you as an, as an external partner, but also to help our organization really do the work because we recognize that there is a lot that we've missed and we acknowledge that, but now we want to do something about it. And so for me, I think that that's such a great win because it speaks again to the intention action that an organization is taking to say, hey, it's not enough that we just, you know, Brittany, you're great, but we're, we're doing this training with you, but we want to do more. We want to ensure that within our organization, we are investing in this work. And so starting with a DEI leader and building out a team um, speaks to that investment. And I think that, that those are the, the kinds of steps that organizations have to take in order to be more successful in this space. Thank you for those examples. Um... Let's um, let's look at the term equity now. And we talked about earlier that equity is, is an outcome. And um, how do you navigate uh, pursuing equity when um, some may perceive it as unfair? And how do you, how do you work with that? Yeah. So I, I like to, again, ensure that when we're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're thinking about it through the same lens that we think about other areas of the business. So let's take sales for a moment. I spent nine and a half years in sales, so very well acquainted with that side of the business. When it comes to the way that budgets are distributed across sales teams, um, typically there is some type of algorithm in place that determines what is the market need within that geography, um, what is the, the, what, what's the what been the capital investments or how many reps or you know people do you have um, working that geography, and then a number is allotted to that zip code or, or, or that state or that you know district manager. And so there are that and others, there are a myriad of examples of how we do this in other spaces and how, in terms of how we take a resource 
right? So in, in this example, you know, budgets across sales teams, and we distribute them in a way that fits the need within that geography or within or based on that product mix or whatever the case is for your organization. So when we talk about diversifying things, right, just think about your own personal investments, right? We talk about having a diversified portfolio, meaning that you're not equally distributing out, you know, your resources, but you're looking at, you know, what, what is the investment here? You know, how much risk, right? You're, you're looking at these other measures to ensure that the distribution of the resource is in such a way that you're, you're, you're leveraging it to the full degree. And so I think that similarly, right, when we're talking about this idea of, you know, people, which is really what we're talking about here, right? It's the same, right? The same way that we, you know, even if you're a parent, right? You, you love your kids the same, but you recognize as a parent, your kids have different needs. And so you, you, you meet the needs of your children based on, you know, what they need from you and the differences within their personalities and the, and the differences in how they communicate, et cetera. So likewise, as, as people leaders within organizations, that is the kind of intention um, that is required when it comes to people that you're leading. And it, and it really, you know, for me, and, and the reason why I think of Career Thrivers as a leadership development firm is because I believe that that is a core tenet of leadership, that it isn't that diversity and inclusion is on the side. And now we're we're bringing this in. But if you are a leader of people, you know, at the end of the day, your charge is about making those people better to elevate the people, you know, that you're leading and to be what they need, right? That's the whole adage of servant leadership. And so I think within that, then if you if you follow that same train of thought, is this natural progression of if I'm here to serve the people, and I recognize that all of the people aren't the same, then one, I need to be aware of the differences right across the people, but I also need to flex my style, my communication, and thus across the organization, the resources to bring the best out of the people. Okay. Uh, well, Brittany, I appreciate your uh, taking the time to uh, discuss this, this issue with us. And uh, certainly I think most of our organizations are on the journey to, um, to better diversity, inclusion, and equity. And, and your, your comments today, I think, uh, provide us a lot to think about as we, we move along that journey. Well, thank you, Frank. Thank you again for having me for the second time. Uh, th this was definitely a, a first getting to do an internal podcast. And so congrats to you all on the new podcast. And I look forward to continued partnerships. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Stay Tuned with the Chlorine Institute. To find safety resources and information on CI, visit our website at www.chlorineinstitute.org. The comments, views, opinions, and recommendations expressed during this podcast are solely those of the guest speaker featured in this podcast. The Chlorine Institute, or CI, does not endorse, support, approve, recommend, or certify the comments of the guest speaker. Any third-party material or content referenced during the podcast does not necessarily reflect the policies or standards of the Chlorine Institute. CI assumes no liability or responsibility for the completeness and accuracy of the third-party content. Any views and opinions expressed by the CI staff are those of the employee and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Institute.
The Chlorine Institute does not make any warranty that the podcast or server used to make the podcast accessible is free of viruses or other elements that may possess harmful or destructive properties. Any questions regarding this disclaimer should be directed to CI's communications coordinator, Raina Ely.